at the ball game. Yo! Welcome, everyone, to the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast here on Spotify, Google Pods, Apple Pods, and, of course, InsideOfBaseball.com. I'm here with Skylar Dombrowski, and Sky, it's our last, I called the Sunday show, on serious getaway day for the preseason, and this is kind of it on the podcast, too. This will be the last, last podcast before first pitch, so we're doing, you know, kind of last notes and just... Uh, uh, doing our last little study, our last little cramming for any of the drafts that are left between now and opening day. I know it's the week, but I'm guessing a lot of people kind of waited to these last three days to do some drafting. And if they are, they're kind of, uh, they, they look smart because there have been a lot of changes in the last couple of days. Oh, no doubt about it. One of my four leagues did not wait. And I think that that league, of course, is full of a bunch of experts and people took resumes. So I think they're upset that they didn't wait. Um, my other three leagues, yeah, we drafted all this weekend, and it's uh, certainly different than it was uh, Wednesday or Thursday, I would say. Yeah, have you got anything left before Thursday's opening day? Oh, oh yeah. My uh, my house league, the one that I've been in for 30 years, uh, those guys are notoriously slow because they just feel no urgency to do anything. So now, of course, we have still about 100 picks to go, and one of the guys who has quite a few of the picks because he was rebuilding last year, is it the Masters all week, oh, where they have no phones all day, every day? You can't take phones into the Masters? That makes sense. You cannot take phones? Oh, God. Could you imagine Tiger with a cell phone going off? <laughs> Someone would die. Oh, yeah. I haven't even heard this morning. Tiger going to play? Uh, there's supposed to be a conference today. I haven't heard anything about it, so maybe it hasn't happened yet. But he wouldn't be there if he wasn't going to play, yeah, I don't think. that's so. what I figured, too. And his son tweeted, his son tweeted that he's going to yeah. play. All right, so baseball draft coming up here on Thursday. There's still a lot of great help for you at InsideOfBaseball.com. You can find this podcast and past episodes of the podcast. Of course, if you want to dig into it, and there's a lot of great subjects, we put podcast up on Saturday as well. So there's a lot of recent, and the Saturday one uh, dealt with a lot of notes and a lot of the trades and a lot of player news that we've had recently. So that'll help catch you up. Uh, there's the baseball blog. Blog, which has uh, uh, preseason prep articles by all of our writers. And that's just basically a litany of a lot of players. And these are full articles here in the preseason that are free to non-subscribers, uh, just breaking down players like we do on these podcasts and we do on the SiriusXM show as well. So that's a great place to prep. There's some analytics articles as well. You can also download a free demo of the Draft Advisory Program, but God, it's too late for that. We got a great deal with Thrive Fantasy Sports where you go to the link on uh, insideofbaseball.com or the baseball blog and you uh, follow that link and open a new account at Thrive Fantasy, deposit $20, play in a contest, and you get the Grand Slam package from, for free, which is a download of the Draft Advisory Program, which you can use in any drafts you have left coming up, and a full season-long subscription to InsideOfBaseball.com to get all of our insights and all of our in-season tools, which we'll talk about on on uh, Sirius as we go forward and in these podcasts, but uh, the lineup radar, uh, pitching logs, 14-day uh, pitching projections, which are more useful than you might think they are, especially if you're streaming pitchers and you want to get that pitcher a week early instead of waiting with everybody else who's looking for the two-start favorable pitcher to get in there. 14-day pitching rotations. We put a lot of effort and uh, emphasis on that to make sure they're as accurate as possible. Of course, a week or two out, Sometimes it's hard to tell and things change, but we this is just not an afterthought. We try to keep these 14 pitching 14 day pitching rotations as accurate as possible with updates sometimes a couple times daily. So again, you can get that streaming starting pitching a week early as opposed to getting in with everybody else in the waiver priority and spending a ton of money for that guy. So you can think a little bit ahead. And that always works, Skylar, right? You got to think a little bit ahead. I think so and <laughs> I can't say enough about that software. I don't know how people draft without it. I just did three drafts with it this weekend, and I really I couldn't do it without it anymore. It would be a significantly different exercise. Oh, I know, and, and Brandon and I were talking on Sunday. Uh, those guys, those like you and, and like me most of the time, I didn't do it this year because of the trip, but uh, um, most of the time you've got two or three drafts going simultaneously, and it's just hard to keep your head in it, but the Draft Advisory Program keeps all that straight. You can flip between leagues pretty uh, easily. And the other advantage to the Draft Advisory Program, because we talked about all the changes in the last three or four days here, the Draft Advisory Program, all the projections get updated on at least a daily basis. Basis. At this point, sometimes twice or three times a day, depending on what changes in terms of playing time, news flow, trades, injuries, things like that. Projections are going to change as we get more information. So you're going into your draft with the most up-to-date information possible. And that's a huge advantage. Absolutely, it is. I 
like I said, I couldn't imagine doing one without it anymore. It would just be like flying blind. Yeah, and uh, just to give one great example of how it's tailored for your particular league, when uh, the Craig Kimbrell trade went down and I've got Blake Trinan and thought he was going to be a, a good contributor for me. Uh, obviously, when he was traded, immediately when I got the update that morning on the draft advisory program, it, it updates his projections and updates his value. So you get that immediate response to the trade and you have up-to-date information on how you should value him. But it was interesting because the first thing I did was go to the Fantastics League, which is the default league in the program, which is a standard 12-team 5x5. And you could see how low Blake Trinan uh, dropped. But in my league, I still had my league up there. We'd, we've drafted fully, but I still switched over to my league. And my league is a holds league. And so I could see the difference in the value change for Trinan in a league with no holds and a league with holds. And in my league with where holds are uh, involved, his value didn't drop all that much at all. And, and uh, so it's important to understand your format and your scoring to understand how to value these players. You just can't take a standard 12 by uh, 12 team, five by five ranking and go in and draft if your league is anything but that. Yeah. And well, that's the beauty of the program is that you can tailor it exactly to whatever your scoring categories are. So your league with holds, how does it value the holds? Uh, well, we've got three points for a save, two points for a hold, and minus two points for a blown save. Gotcha. All right. We do. Um, we just add half holds in with saves and have that be the relief pitcher category. Yep. And you get points for that category. Yeah, per- pretty similar. And the reason we do that, and by the way, holds and blown saves are crap stats. I and mean, we understand that fully. <laughs> <laughs> they're just weird as hell. And especially yeah. blown saves, they're crap stats. We understand that, but we work head-to-head categories on a weekly basis. And so what we wanted was a little more volatility in that column so that, you know, we had more to play for on the weekend and more to manage for and more to manipulate for so that, so that column doesn't get locked in too early. So we're trying to keep in the columns are trying to keep them competitive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd go so far as to call them crap stats, just that they're clearly not all created equally. Oh, blown saves. Like there's, the crap there's, there's the, uh, there's the save with two men on and two out and you come in and, and strike the guy out. And then there's the John Wetland save where you have a clean ninth inning and you give up two homers and then walk the bases loaded, then somehow get the guys yeah. out. And similarly, we do a similar thing. Instead of wins, we do wins, uh, uh, wins are a point quality start is a point and a lot loss yep. is minus one yep. point. So yeah, same with us without the loss. It's uh, wins plus quality starts. Yeah, and throwing losses isn't great either, and we understand that. But again, we're trying to keep competitiveness and volatility through the weekend. So you have a decision on Saturday and Sunday whether you're going to make that take that start or not take that start. You usually have to balance it off your ERA gain, potential ERA gain against uh, wins and losses and saves and maybe jeopardizing that column. So we're just trying to put a little managing into it. That's all. Yeah, I actually like more variables in daily lineup leagues. Yeah. I think that it's good to create decisions that people have to make. All right. One of the things we're going to talk about today, and if we have time later in the program, we're going to delve into Skyler's last preseason prep article, the likes of which you can find on insiderbaseball.com on the baseball blog by all of our writers on a daily basis. And I just want to get into that a little bit if we get some time at the end so that you can understand what's available to you on the on the blog and again free to non-subscribers so you don't have to be a subscriber to fantastics you don't have to be a subscriber to listen to this podcast so uh we're trying to help you out as much as we can but you know go go over to insideofbaseball.com and uh, get prepped for your upcoming drafts and we'll talk like i said if we have some time at the end we'll get into that but what i want to talk about today skylar is quality of contact and quality of contact has become such a big thing here at fantastics in terms of uh, anthony and the projections and the way we talk about players on a day-to-day basis, whether it be in our writing or in on Sirius or here in the podcast. Uh, quality of contact is uh, the StatCast stats that we use for quality of contact. Quality of contact. I love them because they're quantifiable. There's no arguing about these stats. And I'll tell you in a minute how dramatic the results are at these stats, what the dividers are. But quality of contact is huge for us. And often that's a leading indicator for us where we can see that a player didn't get as much as he expected or he should have expected last year from a good quality of contact, or maybe he got a little bit more. I think it's what we look for all the time, which is a true test of skill. Yeah, it absolutely is. And now for the last six or seven years, we're able to quantify it with some degree of accuracy. Whereas before you just said, oh, that guy hit a rope. I got to remember that. Yeah, there were hard hit balls and it was kind of subjective and, you know, that type of thing. But uh, with this, we're getting launch angle and you and I play uh, barrels and exit velocity and launch angle a lot. And hard hit percentages, balls hit 95 miles an hour above. 
And the reason I like them is, first of all, it's a true test of skill. It's one of the real bedrock things for us where we can see how well a pitcher is pitching. These work on the pitching side as well as they work on the hitting side. Uh, how well he's doing. And it's a great natural aggregate stat. I hate aggregate stats in general when they put a formula together and try to figure these things out. But there are certain natural aggregate stats and quality of contact is one of them. It talks about how much velo is beating a guy or how much a guy is getting beat by velo or how his plate control is, uh, whether he can control his strike zone and things like that, because poor contact often comes on pitches outside of the zone. So it's a nice little summation because in the end, this is all what we're looking for. Hit the ball hard, right? That's the whole purpose of the at-bat. And for the pitcher, the whole purpose of the at-bat is don't hit the ball hard. Yeah, of course. And unlike some of the aggregate stats where people are just trying to rank players by adding up a bunch of stuff and slamming it together, this is a little bit more fine-tuned in that it's basically if this plus this equals this in terms of a barrel. And if one of those doesn't apply, then it's not a barrel. So it's an aggregate stat, but it's an aggregate stat that's based on very specific measurements. So I don't treat it the same way I would treat something like war. Oh, no, I hate war. Listen, we can't even talk about war. Well, that's hate war in every sense of the word. (laughs) It's kind of, to me, it's kind of a made up stat. And there are some things in there that are very questionable, but exit velocity, barrel percentage, hard hit percentage, launch angle, those are all quantifiable. There's nothing subjective in there. There's nothing made up. There's There's nothing we're supposing there. It's like, this is what it is. And what we know, again, is the basic. You hit the ball hard. Anthony Perry is famous for saying this over the years. You hit the ball hard, good things happen. And to that end, to show you how how useful this is for us, a barrel is constructed. It's a combination of exit velocity and launch angle that produces, at a minimum, a 500 batting average and a 1,500 slugging percentage. Those are really good numbers. So when you have a barrel... In the, in the league, in general, when someone hits a barrel, hits a ball that qualifies as a barrel, he's got at least a 500 batting average and a 1,500 slugging percentage. That just tells you right there that a barrel is a good thing. It seems oversimplified, but it's not. It's like you're lining up barrels, you're getting good results. No question. I mean, it's, it's with certainty. Yes. And the other one I love is hard hit percentage, and we'll try to play this in. We're going to talk barrel percentage here today and, and look at some players with barrel percentage and see how this all plays out. But the other one that I like is the 95-plus exit velocity on a ball hit, and that's called a hard hit percentage. As opposed to a hard percentage, if you're, stat, um, if you're fan graphs guys like we are, our hard, hard hit percentage is a different thing than hard percentage. Hard percentage is kind of subjective, and there's a lot of other things going on there. Hard hit percentage, uh, balls hit 95 miles an hour or above in exit velocity. And just to give you an idea of what that means, balls on average, and these are 2018 stats, but you get the point, uh, 95 plus mile an hour or better, show a batting average of 524, a slugging percentage of 1,047, and a Wober of 653. So we've got a 524 batting average, 1,047 slugging, and a 653 Wober on all balls hit 95 miles an hour or above in exit velocity. Under 95, the batting average on those balls is 219, the slugging percentage is 259, and the Wober is 206. There's a huge crossroads there on balls hit. You want guys who hit the ball at times, 95 miles an hour or above. And I know what you're all thinking. Some of that is being skewed by balls that are hit 98 miles an hour, or in Giancarlo Stanton's case, 116 miles an hour. That's obvious, right? And you think it's being skewed. But the, the ramp up, if you graph it, is very quickly after 95. You hit 95, 95.5, 95.7, 96. You're getting good results on those balls, too. Yeah. I, I Boy, I mean... Th- you remember, it wasn't that long ago, six years, seven years, when we had none of this yeah. data. This makes it so much easier to find player breakouts, find player collapses, things like that. I, Man, we're uh, it always feels like an unprecedented time. It's not. There'll be another stat in three years or five years or ten years that we think, oh, this is great. How do we live yeah. without it? But it's just amazing the level of uh, the technology that's come up to allow us to better analyze players. Well, before this, what were we trying to do? We were looking at result stats, and if you didn't if you didn't listen to us last week, we spent a lot of time on this, on predictability of stats. 
and weighted scoring columns, which is a feature of the draft advisory program. And uh, what happened to the example I always used to use is you don't know, you know, wins aren't predictable. So you don't weigh them very much. You don't value them very much. Uh, Ed, Eduardo Rodriguez, I think in 2019 had 19 wins. You don't think of him as a 19 win guy. You sh- certainly don't pay for him as a 19 win guy because a lot of it is circumstantial. A lot of it is luck. A lot of it's out of his control. And you can't predict those win totals from one year to the next. We know that and we account for it. But what if I told you over the last three full seasons, not counting 2020, the shortened season, over the last three full seasons, ERA is less predictable than wins. And what that means is when we're looking at pitchers, we look at ERA, for example, and we lean on that very heavily to think of the value of the player to try to arrive at a value for the player. Maybe we shouldn't because the difference between between eight runs over 170 innings pitch, that's 30 plus starts. Eight runs over 170 innings pitch is a half a run in ERA. And there's so many things that can contribute to that. Even if it's four runs, that's a quarter of a run of ERA. And we look at a guy with a 410 ERA a lot differently than we look at a guy with a 385 ERA. And I'm not sure we should because there's a lot of luck involved in a large range of your ERA results stat. Yeah, we shouldn't. And I think we talked about this a little bit on the show this weekend. You and I have gotten to the point, I think, where we basically just read the XFIP column and not the yep. ERA column because we know intrinsically, and we've known for a long time, that the ERA column is suspect. It's absolutely suspect to inherited runners. It's suspect to one or two extra Colorado starts. It's it's subject to so many different things, not all of which are in the pitcher's control. And now I'm going to work on my memory here. You and I worked batting average out. It's similar in that it's less. it's about a hit a week. That's a 50-point difference in your batting average. And again, we look at a 295 batter completely differently than we look at a 245 batter. And the, the difference comes down to a hit a week, a bloop dropping or a line drive being caught by an infielder. They're, ground ball with eyes. Right, ground ball with eyes gets through. Or like I said, you hit the atom ball at the third baseman or someone makes a great catch in the outfield one time a week. That's a difference, 50 points in batting average, and we weigh on that a lot. But even in the last couple of years, we've come to realize batting average isn't always that uh, dependable. So what we look at, instead of those result stats, ERA and batting average, and even most of our scoring stats, because we mostly score result stats, we're trying to look at the skill set of the player and understand that what we're really looking for, Sky, is when the indicator stats and the skill stats tell us a different story than the result stats do. Yeah, and then we look and see, okay, why? Yeah. What has happened? Why is this why is his BABIP two twenty-five? Why is his BABIP three eighty? Uh, you know, why is the home run to fly ball rate four or seventeen? You know, it's important to understand the why of this, but just seeing that it's that is the first step. All right. And I think we've been doing that for a while, but now we have better stats. That's a great place to start because uh, as we look at barrel percentage. Uh, barrel percentage per plate appearance is what we're looking at here. Fernando Tatis was the leader last year, and uh, no sense really talking about him at this point. A, we know who Fernando Tatis is, and we don't have to deal with him for a couple months. Uh, So we'll just move on to Shoei Otani. And that why question comes into play here because he was second in barrel percentage at a ridiculous barrel percentage of (laughs) 22.3%. I mean, it's just, it's absurd. It is absurd. Absolutely absurd. Uh, 23.3%. And his hard hit percentage was 53.4%. So more often than not, he hit the ball with an exit velocity over 95 miles an hour, which is supposed to produce a 524 batting average. He hit 257 last year. So why? (laughs) His quality of contact was excellent. Well, it was, but his uh, his contact rate is down there in in the danger zone, under 70%. And he hits the ball. There's a lot of fly ball and a lot of pull. So right there, you know the BABIP is going to be problematic relative to what it could be. Now, his BABIP was still about league average at 303. And for a guy who hits more than 40% fly balls and more than 40% at more a more than 40% pull percentage, to have a 300 batting average is very abnormal. And it's strictly related to how hard he hits the ball consistently. Yeah, and the, that fly ball percentage and that pull percentage jumped significantly last year as well. You could see him being a more aggressive hitter, and even though he hit the ball when he did hit it, the ability to shift him, uh, you know, fly balls have a lower <clears throat> BABIP than uh, ground balls. That cuts in the batting average quite a bit. So really, his batting average, which dipped from the 285, 286 in his first couple seasons, he had a 190 in 2020, but we can throw that out. 
Uh, the reason he had a 257 batting average is he got a little bit unlucky on Babbitt. He should, probably deserves a little bit more than the 303, but most of it was because his approach cha- his approach saw a change, and he just became a more aggressive uh, hitter, pulling the ball and lifting the ball more. Yeah, I think Otani. This is probably Otani as a mature hitter. You know, I think he finally he crossed the uh, thousand plate appearance threshold early last season, uh, which is sort of where we start to see maybe fully formed major leaguers. Uh, prime is always between age 25 and 27. He was 26 last season, 27 now. Um, you know, this is this is the version of Otani we are likely to see for the next five years or so, barring something crazy. And you're right, he was shorted a bit on Babbitt. I've started getting rid of the batting average category and going right to the stat cast expected batting average and expected slugging mm-hmm. like I used to do with ERA versus XFIP. And he was shorted about 11 points of batting average and 20 points of slugging, according to StatCast data. So as good of a season as he had, it could have been even better. Well, that makes sense. But he, So he traded in the hitter who would hit 20 homers and steal uh, 12, 14 bases to the guy who hit 46 homers and steal 26 bases, cost him about 30 points in batting average or expected batting average over what he actually hit. I'll take that trade. Oh, yeah. He'll take that trade. I'll take that trade. You'll take that trade. The Angels will take that trade. Baseball in general will take that trade. Yeah. He's he's almost a must-watch at bats now. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. the approach change was successful. Yeah, and he's a, g- a good enough quality hitter, even though he chased a little bit. You wouldn't have said he was a quality – well – He's a quality hitter. No one would have denied he's a quality hitter, but if you're just looking at a player B level with his 12% swing strike percentage and over 30 chase rate, for the most part, you'd say, well, there's a little room to rein that in a little bit. He actually went the other way uh, and got more aggressive in the swinging strike, but it paid off for him, and that's what you want to see out of him because he's got an incredible amount of power. And I, I just, you're right. He's appointment television in terms of just watching the guy hit because uh, it's just exciting to watch a guy hit like this. Yeah, it is. And, you know, yes, there's some room for him to bring up the average, but I think that it would come at the cost of the power again to a, to a point. And, you know, if you're going to give up, I think by expected batting average, he essentially gave up like 10 to 15 points, according to StatCast data. So you will take that every time, picking up 100 points of slugging at the expense of 10 to 15 points batting average until you get down to a certain level, and he's nowhere near that level. So uh, I think that he has to view this as successful, and I don't anticipate any sort of change in approach for Otani at all. All right, Josh Donaldson, now a Yankee, and uh, uh, had a big jump in his barrel percentage at 17.4% last year. He's a career 129 Not career, but they've been recording a barrel percentage since 2015. He had a career before that. But uh, so that's a jump, 129 on his career to 17.4 last year. And he's a 50 plus percent guy on 95 plus as well. Good season last year, ending up with the Yankees and it's starting off having a good spring, too. Yeah, he really is. And uh, boy, it, it's hard to look at the gains that Donaldson made at age 35 and say that he was shorted. But, you know, he's been. 50% or more for three years in a row now. So you include the short in 2020, but 2019-2021 as well, up around 93-94 exit velo. Launch angle is sort of in that optimal range, 13 to 15 degrees. Um, and you look at Donaldson's year in 2021, and he was shorted a lot. Expected batting average was 21 points higher at 268 than the 247 that he posted. And what he was really shorted was in terms of slugging. His, he slugged 475, which is very good. He got an ISO of 228, quite good, really. But his expected slugging was 541. So with a 53% hard hit rate and a 17.5% barrel rate and that optimal sort of launch angle, I mean, he really probably should have hit about 35 homers. And yes, he's going to Yankee Stadium, which is not the best park for lefties or for right to left yep. field for right-handed hitters. But I think that Donaldson is, if he hits like he did last year, I fully expect him to hit more than 30 homers, bring that batting average up towards 260. And I think he'll be a very useful player at the hot corner. So he gets up, he, even with the 26 homers last year, it's reasonable to expect a 30. Well, right now health is an issue for him. And, and the big question is going to be how many at-bats is he going to get? If he gets, when he was getting 500 plus at-bats and getting close to 550, he was producing 30 home run seasons with some regularity and even getting into the mid thirties. That's the big question here, right? Where does the at-bat total land? If it, if it lands near last year at 560 at-bats or 580 at-bats, he's going to be challenging 30. 
if he has a healthy year and gets through at 5, 520, 540, then he's going to be well into the 30s in homers. Absolutely, yes. And he's going in round 14, the 18th third baseman. Ty France is going in front of him by like <laughs> two and a half rounds. That makes absolutely zero sense. Well, that's an age bias. And I remember drafting him last year and drafting him at an incredibly bargain price. And someone looked at me, I can't, took, I can't believe you took Josh Donaldson because, you know, they're thinking not your type of guy, just an old slugger. And I'm going, well, that's exactly my type of guy because, you know, the, the <laughs> Nelson Cruz's, the Josh Donaldson's of the world, you get at bargain prices. And I know you get hamstrung a little bit with Nelson Cruz with this position qualification, but those guys sit around because there's an age bias and nobody wants to draft a 35 year old. I'll tell you what, this guy can still hit. He definitely can hit. And he's not one of these guys that's all that injury prone. He's become a little bit more so. Uh, later in his career, he missed 30 games in the COVID season. He missed 25 games last year. And in 2018, he missed over 100 games. But other than that, I mean, from 2013 to 2016, he played almost every game. 2019, he played almost every game. He's not one of these guys that's always on the DL like uh, some other Yankees like Aaron Hicks or Giancarlo Stanton. Donaldson should be reasonably expected, you know, maybe at age 36, maybe he's going to have a short two to three week IL stint. But I wouldn't really expect more than that. Sure, it can happen to a guy in his mid-30s. But, you know, I really feel like he's a good bet to put up the performance that you would expect from him. And if he does that, he's going to be a top 12 third baseman. And he's not being valued anywhere near that. Right how, now. Do you ex- how do you explain the gains here? Because that 94.1 exit velocity is significantly higher than than his entire career when we've been doing stat cast. 17.4% barrel percentage is significantly higher. Uh, he it It seems like... And you can tell me your impression about it, but it seemed to me like not he might have been playing dinged up before. Third base is one of those positions you can play dinged up and you get cut into a little bit. Maybe finally he had, other than the times he missed for an injury that put him on the injured list, he was healthy and he just wasn't dinged up. He was going up out there as a healthy guy. At 35, how do you explain those gains, like the exit velocity gain? Well, I look at it, the hard hit percentage, and you know he's been over 50% for three yeah. years now. So it's not like this is real sudden. The extra couple percent of barrel rate, okay, yeah. And, you know, the exit velocity went up a couple miles an hour in there as well. So there's been a little bit, you know, maybe maybe a little bit better training regimen. I, I you know, I, I hesitate to speculate. But, you know, he had expected slugging percentages of 543, 556, 540 back in 2015, 16, 17. So this is not really a new level of performance per se. Uh, he's had slugging percentages expected by Statcast five of the last seven years, and one of those was a COVID year, so you can't really count that. He, so I really, I feel like this isn't as big of a surprise the numbers that you're seeing as you might think, just because it's not that different a level than he was at before. It's not like a guy that went from 10% no, barrel to 17 no. and a half. No, but at age 35, it's just kind of curious. And and you're like me. It's just like, you're always asking why. And it's like, okay, well, oh, well sure. why a career high in exit velocity now at age 35, especially after uh, having, you know, playing with some nicks and dings and missing some time over the last couple of years, just, and you know, you know, me, I'm very cynical. The first thing I went to is that, a, was that a contract year last year? And no, it wasn't. <laughs> no. Oh, well, so, no, it's just, it's good. It's yeah, good. It's a good. It's a good thing. Just always asking the question why. That's what we do. And speaking of off-injured Yankees players, we've got Aaron Judge here. And of course, when we're talking exit velocity and barrels and things like that, Aaron Judge has to be part of the conversation. And he had an outstanding year last year. His hard hit percentage was, a, well, not a career high. He had a little bit more in 2016, but that was only 84 at-bats. Had a good year last year. And I think that plays into the uh, mindset of him trying to stay healthy. I think it does. Uh, you know, it was noticeable uh, on the base pass. He was less aggressive in the field. He was absolutely positively less aggressive. I only saw him dive a couple times all year and usually you'd see it once a game. So I think he was very conscious of the need for the Yankee lineup to have him available. Uh, and it's funny when you said, speaking of oft injured Yankee sluggers, you, there were a lot of options. <laughs> I wasn't sure where yes, you were going, but, <laughs> but judges, uh, you know, the more I watch him, I think I think we're spoiled watching him so much because when he doesn't do something great, you're sort of like disappointed. When it becomes an expectation for someone to succeed all the time, 
you know your sport. Yeah, how many times do we look at a player whose value is diminished? And these are the guys that I like to look for in drafts as well. The value is diminished by that one year. And Aaron Judge came out and hit 52 homers in 2017. And it's like anything less than that is a disappointment at this point. Well, you know what? Is 39 homers last year. Not so disappointing. <laughs> no, not disappointing yeah. at all. And it's funny because, again, like Donaldson, it seems like we're, we're grabbing guys uh, from this list that really were unlucky last year. And Judge put up a 287 average and a 544 slugging, which are great, great numbers. Wobo was 387, just excellent. He's been between 375 and 430 in Woba every year since his 27-game debut in 2016. He's just a remarkable player. But his expected average in slugging by StatCast data last year were 306 and 591. So he was shorted almost as badly as Josh Donaldson. Uh, the contact rate jumped 6%, which, you know, he still was number one in exit velocity in the league. And he's able to do that while becoming a better hitter. This kid really, he's remarkable. The way that I'm watching him sort of mature as a player makes me think for the first time ever that he's younger than he actually is. I'm almost <laughs> always thinking players are older than they are. But Judge feels to me like he's 26 or 27 because of all the missed time, and he's actually going to be 30 this year. So. Okay, he had a 57.9, let's call it 58% hard hit percentage. So he's hitting the ball 95 miles an hour or more 58% of the time. His average exit velocity was 95.8. That's close to 96. His average exit velocity was 96 miles an hour, a little rounded up there. And 95 plus produces a 524 batting average, 1,047 slugging, and a 653 Woba. It's, it's almost hard to think he didn't get cheated a little bit here. And you'd be yeah. right, because <laughs> he did. And uh, that, the best thing about that is, I, this really, honestly, the sky is the limit for this kid, because he cut his swing strike rate from 14 to yep. 11. So this is a guy that is almost averaging a barrel, figuratively, yep. and he's cutting his swing strike rate. He's becoming a better contact hitter while he's doing this. He's an amazing player. So when you sit here, we all love Juan Soto, right? But it's hard. Aaron Judge looks like a relative bargain at this point because he hits for a, a plus average. He's going to help in the average column. Certainly going to help you in RBIs and runs if he's healthy in a full year, which is the big question here. He's going to approach 100, RB, 100 RBIs and 90 plus runs here. He's going to hit your high 30s and homers. Might even pop you 40. He's going to steal a handful of bases, five, six, maybe even a little bit more if he plays enough. What is not like? What is not to like here? And why is his value, his average draft position, suppressed compared to some other players that I see uh, getting draft positions? I mean, again, Juan Soto. I love Juan Soto. Number one and number two. I'm. I don't know. Not the guy I want there. Well, if you're going to co- directly compare Judge or Soto, I would take Soto. And the reason is the seven years difference in age and the and the much worse injury history yeah. on Aaron Judge's part. Or on J- Judge's part, um, plus. For all the talk that we just went through about how good of a contact hitter Aaron Judge has become, Juan Soto is a million times better. Like swing strike rate of six, 82% contact rate, chase rate of 15%. And Juan Soto is not human. He's Ted Williams. Aaron Judge is just a really, really good hitter. Right. But you, the difference in, and I'm, I'm not saying any different. Juan Soto is an excellent hitter. And you're, you're right. You've made that comparison before, and I'm buying into it. But the, for the difference in draft position, for the difference in price, you can grab a Garrett Cole at Juan Soto's spot and then come around and get Aaron Judge the next time around? Yes, and that is why that is a very viable strategy because there is a player as good as Aaron Judge that's going in the third round. Even in the draft advisory program, we've got Soto ranked as number two, Aaron Judge in, in as 28 overall. Average draft yep. position, Aaron, Aaron Judge, three, and I've got the blended here set on my... Uh, Draft advisory program, 305 as opposed to 102, that's two rounds. But you you could very easily take Garrett Cole right there and come around and get an Aaron Judge in the second round. And I'd have no problem doing it either. Uh, you could take Jose Ramirez. Take Jose take, Ramirez there I and guess, come around and get Aaron Judge. But the big knock with Aaron Judge is, is he had a healthy year last year, and it's part of his thinking and part of the way he plays now, and that's great. But he could just as easily put up. Uh, although, you know, honestly, he could just as easily put up 400 at bats, which would be a diff- big difference in value. It could. You know, we always talk about this health as a skill. Um, but it was interesting to me. Judge talked a lot early in the uh, in, early in the offseason back in October, November of last year. He talked a lot about 
what he was going to do to stay in the lineup because he was tired of getting hurt every single season and missing really big chunks of the season. And he wanted to do a lot of Pilates. He wanted to do a lot of yoga, a lot of flexibility type of exercises instead of the strength training stuff that he had done in the past. So correlation does not equal causation ever. So there's a reasonable amount of skepticism about whether he can do this again and play, you know, all but 15 games. I feel personally that that was his dedication. It'll remain his dedication. I think he's happy doing these things and being a little more conservative and staying in the lineup, but it does remain to be seen whether that's the case or whether it was just a random healthy year like Giancarlo Stanton had the year before the Yankees decided to pay top dollar for him. Okay, let's move on to Sal Perez because it's a what the holy hell situation with with Sal Perez and it's like it's the post is it the poster child for the contract year? How does Sal Perez get 620 at bats by the way? No, it's definitely not the poster child for the contract year. Uh he can't control how he's used by the team. So I think he could have there are many years in there where he put up 130 to 150 games where he could have played 15 or 20 more. And they just were insistent on catchers resting once a week, um, which I have always. 2021 aside, it makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm not dissuaded by his 2021 season. It makes sense that you can't play a catcher that much. He's 31, by the way. 620 at bats, yeah. 161 games as a catcher at 31. I don't know how many games he caught. He probably was DH in a bunch of those games. But still, it's a lot of work for a catcher. He was DH in 40 of those games. He caught 124 games. Yeah, well, he started 120 anyway, and that's three quarters of the season. Yeah, that's probably pretty reasonable. So in the past, they just didn't VH him for more than 10 or 15 of those other 40 games. And last year they decided to. Why? I have no earthly idea. (laughs) But, you know, he is by far the best player on their team. Oh, yeah. But the weirdest thing about Sal Perez is, like, usually by the time a guy is 25, 26, 27, you'd kind of know who he is. But Perez has just continued. It's like he's perpetually 25. His exit velocity is the last six years, 87, 89, 89, 91, 91, 93. Barrel rates, 5, 6, 8, 9, 14, 16. It's like he just keeps getting better through the time when almost everyone else plateaus. And it's it's pretty amazing. You know, the 2020 year, the COVID year, um, he hit 11 homers in 37 games. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's on pace for 50. <laughs> So he basically just maintained that pace in 2021. So how does the 4.2% walk percentage make sense? How does that make sense? It was it, it was almost a career high, by the way. I'm sorry? Almost a career high. It was almost a career yeah. high. But he hit 48 homers last year and only walked 4.2% of the time. I mean, think about, could Barry Bonds get through a season and only walk 4.2% of the time? I mean, pitchers have some control over how much you walk, don't they? I think he was intentionally walked 4.2% That's, a, that's entirely possible. well sale perez has the lowest zone percentage of any hitter that i know of 34.7 percent. so basically one out of three pitchers is in the strike zone and his swing rate is 59 percent, almost double the zone percentage so he is one of the most aggressive hitters in the game pitchers know this they pitch him more conservatively than almost anyone in the game and he still hits 48 home runs pitchers are dumb (laughs) That, that is my conclusion from Sal Perez. Pitchers he are chases chases 48.3% of the time. He chases close to 50% of the time. His swinging strike rate is he would chase more. He would chase more. If they would throw the zone percentage down to 25, he'd chase I more. Know, right? I mean, at one point, you just hold up the four fingers and let him go, don't you? <laughs> I would. Take a look at his called strike percentages. Have you ever seen a 9.3% called strike percentage? <laughs> I mean, the dude just does not let a strike go by. Go ahead, throw it, throw it. And it's exactly, please throw it anywhere I can reach. It's like me playing slow pitch softball. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's some other spots that there are some other hitters in that lineup, but it's not like he has a ton of protection that you really have to deal with Sal Perez, especially with the year he's having. You could see it in the years when he's hitting 22 homers, he's hitting 27 homers, he's hitting 268, you know, okay. You know, it's Sal Perez is a catcher. He hits good. Fine. We'll go after him. But geez, last year at that point, at at certain point, you would have figured they'd go, I'm just going to. He's going to have to hit a ball that bounces, or I'm just going to put him on. <laughs> well, yeah, especially now that Whit Merrifield is not that great a hitter anymore. He's got an ISO 117. It's been dropping for a couple of years. Uh, batting average is not in the 300s anymore. It's down around 275. Not as dangerous hitter. Other than that, who yeah. else? Not What's as that? dangerous hitter. 
No, not at all. And he was the other guy that was dangerous in that lineup. Who else do they have? I mean, maybe Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be great, but I wouldn't count on it immediately right out of the gate. And who else do they have? Adalberto Mondesi? That guy's as healthy as much as Fernando Tatis is. Yeah, and, and he's he's beatable in a way that Sal Perez isn't. He chases a lot too. So It's true. So I, I don't know why they're pitching to Sal Perez. I really don't. It makes no sense at all. And when you look at who these teams have available in, in their for their batting lineup now, I Sal Perez is just not a guy I'm going to pay for, I don't think. Yeah, what would you pay for at this point? What's a reasonable expectation? By the way, his ADP was th- is 307. Drafting a... 30-year-old yeah, catcher in the third round. I don't know. A 30-year-old catcher on a pretty horrible offense that at any at any minute could pumpkin. I would absolutely take JT Realmuto over him. I would take Will Smith over him. You know, he's probably next, but I'll never get him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the price is just too high, right? It, it's ridiculously high. And great. You know, maybe he'll hit 40 homers again with a decent average and he'll be worth it, but I just don't want to take. Yeah, I was talking about it with Brandon on Sunday, and I want to throw this by you as well. One of the principles you have to learn in fantasy baseball, I think, is the uh, willingness to be wrong. And when I look at Sal Perez, it's like, okay, he could hit 40 homers again. He could hit 45 homers again. He could get 620 at bats, and I could pay the price. But I'm not going to do that, and I'm willing to be wrong. You know? Yep. And that works in both directions. Oh, what do you mean? Like, well, I'm just thinking of an example. Like my next pick, we're finally getting in my house league. We're getting towards pick 100 in the draft, and then after that, it goes in reverse order of finish, where everyone just completely fills their roster after pick 100. Yep. So even though I have seven or eight spots left on my roster to fill, I have one more pick. Then I have to wait to the back of the bus because I finished second mm-hmm. last year. So I am willing to be wrong about Keston here as spring. Yep. I'm I'm going to pick him here before other people can get to him. I'm willing to be wrong. Yeah. So it works in both directions. Yeah. Oh, so you mean going after a player because you're willing to take a chance on him and also passing on a player because you, you could be wrong. You're willing yeah. to just accept that he might be great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a- you just you have to make your decisions. And when you have the downside risk of a Sal Perez, and, and you bringing it up really drove it home to me just a second ago about how little there is in the Kansas City lineup why are they even pitching to him? Right. Well, there are a number of factors. There's that, their approach to Sal Perez. There's a couple of DL stints that gets him down to 500 and gets him down to 540 at bats. So it gets him down, <laughs> gets him yeah. down to 500 at bats. A catcher. A catcher. catcher right. <laughs> and he needs to get the DH so he can DH and get some extra at bats that way. But it's perfectly reasonable. He's a 30 year old catcher. It's perfectly reasonable. He throws up 540 at bats this year which still could be 40 homers, but, uh, but there are all kinds of things that can go wrong and I'm just not willing to pay up at, at round three in the middle of the third round. I can get a hitter that I feel a little bit better about Aaron judge, Aaron judge. Good example. <laughs> Excellent example. That's right. We just talked about him. <laughs> well, how many catchers have their career year post age 30? Zero. I mean, did, did pudge either career one year? The original no. one. year? I don't think so. Fisk. I, th- I thought he might have, but I mean, I can't think of many Darren Dalton did, um, but th- there are very, very few. And you can remember the few cause they stick out the odds of Sal Perez putting up another couple great years at age 32 and 33 with the number of games he's caught, you know, 1140 games. I just don't see it. It's way too big a risk at that. I mean, that's where you lose drafts making picks like that. Other third round players here, Olson, judge, Semyon. Perez, Xander Bogarts, Robbie Ray, Aaron Nola, Josh Hader, um, you know, Stalin Mate, Luke, Lucas Giolito is the first pick of the fourth round in our blended ADP. You get a lot of choices there before you go to a 30-year-old catcher who you're betting on 600 or 550 more bats. By the way, 550 at-bats is ridiculous for a catcher in baseball in 2022. It is ridiculous. You don't no. see it. So there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. And like I said, you have to, that's a great mental space to be in. It's like, well, I'm willing to be wrong. He could hit 45 homers again this year, but uh, let somebody else. out Out of the people being drafted in the third round right now, Whit Merrifield is the only one that I might take Sal Perez before. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But, but, um, Merrifield has, uh, multiple position qualifications, give you stolen bases, depending on where you are at that point in stolen bases, which is a much more predictable stat. And, you know, th- there are arguments to be made that way, too. I mean, there, there are you are. willing to bet a third-round pick? Would you trade a third? Well, you would trade a third-round pick for a catcher who's going to hit 40 homers, but. 
you know, what are the odds that he hits 40 again since he's never done it before? Yeah. yeah. And by, by the yeah, way, all I the just, projections are up there too. I don't, I don't understand the projection science in this overall. I mean, I'm just looking at all on fan graphs, all the various types of projections there. They're all up there. Because they're objective and not subjective. That's the nature of projection systems. So they don't take into account that he's a 32-year-old catcher that's caught 1,140 games in a team with a horrible offense. All right, Bryce Harper, nice season for him last year. His first really good season with Philly. Seems like he's fine. Well, I don't know. 2019 was was fine. This is an excellent season. It seems like he's finally settled into the role here. It showed up in his barrel percentage and his hard hit percentages. Hard hit percentage other than 2020 was a career high in years that we've scored hard hit percentages. Barrel percentage was a career high again in years we've scored barrel percentage. Uh, so very good year for him. What's going right for him? Everything. Yeah. I mean, all right. You're, you're a Bryce Harper fan, right? I, I am. Okay. I, I thought do. so. So, so break, does it stun you that this is, this will be his 11th major it league will. season? <laughs> yeah. Don't even start with me. I mean, it feels like he's like five years in 11. Yeah. Well, I, you're not quite there, there yet, there yet. But I am. There are guys being elected in the Hall of Fame who I owned on fantasy baseball teams. That that'll stun you. What do you mean I'm not there yet? <laughs> How old do you think I am? I'm certainly there. I've been playing for thirty. Yeah, years. there you go. Yeah, so you, you know that too. Yeah, I know. You get these kids who are who are kids who are teenagers, and they are now they're in their eleventh season. Roberto Alomar. Roberto Alomar. I remember watching him in Syracuse. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I know. I get a couple of those stories too. McGriff, Don Mattingly. I mean, I watched these guys. I, I sat, I sat on the third baseline, front row, and sat there. I watching. added minor leaguers to my house league at one point so I could take Chipper Jones as a minor leaguer. <laughs> I, d- I decided we're doing abuse of power. Abuse of we're power. doing minor leagues so I can take it. So I can take Chipper Jones. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I love Harper. I do, and I think um, you know when you look at his barrel rates, he's on a five straight. Uh, five years straight run of increasing them up to last year's 18%. It's fantastic. His contact rate hovers down around 70%, but it's really just because he refuses to get cheated and swings yep. from his heels all the time. He is perfectly capable, as 2016 would show you, of putting up a contact rate around 80%, but you know, you just tend to not get the same level of power, and it's a trade-off he doesn't want to make. So you know, he wants to hit 40 homers and 35 homers instead of 20 to 25 homers. So the batting average, many years will suffer a bit because of it. But last year's 310, it's fantastic. Um, he was probably maybe 10 points lucky in that in average and, and slugging yeah. both. Um, yeah. But this is, you know, that performance was legit. That's that's what he can give you. And he's still stealing low teens in bases and, you know, scored 100 runs. He's just an outstanding player. I'd be happy to have him on any team. Yeah, I love Bryce Harper for a number of different reasons. First of all, I, I think he's what the sports need sport needs, and I would like a, a uh, I would like Bryce Harper with a little swagger. With, and the whole deal with Philadelphia kind of took that out of him a little bit uh, as he struggled and tried to regain his role and things like that. But now I think we're going to see that that kind of Bryce Harper. He's fun. And I like him with a swagger. He's a terrific ball player. He's not going to hit 309 every year. That's the batting average. That's the little bit of thing here that knocks him off that elite top shelf. And that 359 was probably a little lucky. But his quality of contact is great. And you're right. It's aggression with his singing, swinging strike percentage. It doesn't bother me because his chase rate is controlled. It was sub 30 last year, as a matter of fact. And he's been hovering around 30, 31. So he knows the strike zone. That swinging strike percentage is just aggression. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And he's in that kind of second tier of hitters right below the top five or six. I'd be happy with him as kind of a second round choice. Um, odds are you probably won't get him there because he's been going late first round on average. But if he somehow slides into the top of the second round, I'd absolutely grab him. He's capable of stealing 15 to 20 bases again if you want. He just can't probably do much more than that. The year he stole 20, he got caught 10 times. So I think that pretty much disabused yep. him of that notion. Yeah. Um, and I, the thing I find most interesting about uh, what goes on around Bryce Harper is what has happened to the Nationals since he left. Yeah. Just complete collapse. Yep. And yeah, interesting situation. With stolen bases, would you be running guys if you were managing Philadelphia in that ballpark? I wouldn't be running guys. I certainly wouldn't be running my 13th, my guy on the tenth, third year of his 13-year contract for a billion dollars. <laughs> I wouldn't be running him at that point. I want him in the lineup. Every there are guys you... There are guys you run and there are guys that you kind of put on their own and say, be conservative. And I think Harper falls in that latter group. So does Aaron judge at this point, Mike Trout might as well. I don't know. Um, I I think that I'm, I'm not a stolen base uh, 
you know, a, a, a newfangled stat you, you can't run unless you steal bases 75% clip. Situations are different, and, you know, sometimes a stolen base is, is very important. Well, that's very manager-specific, isn't it? Because a, a lot of yeah. guys will risk a caught stealing, and a lot of managers won't risk a caught stealing. They want a high-percentage guy. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think the more um, sabermetric-centric your, yeah. uh, your organization is as a whole – the more inclined they are to have a manager that is very, very cautious on the base paths because running yourself into outs is, is wasted out. Yeah, you're going to get a nasty note from the analytics department. You get too many caught stealings in there. And you get too many notes in the analytics department. Yeah, you're gone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I, there were a couple teams, I think it was Cleveland that just announced that they want to run more this year. So that's good news for Jose Ramirez. Yeah. And the game is kind of pushing that way with the larger bases. I think that's a lean towards stolen bases. I also think uh, there's talk about them in the minor leagues moving second base. And, and I'm not sure about the physics of that. I don't know. I don't know. It, it shortens the distance between first and second, but it also shortens the difference distance between home plate and second base. You know, for the catcher, yeah, so I'm not so sure how that works out. I think it works out poorly. Yeah. I think it's a really dumb idea, just like many of the ideas they've had the last handful of years. All right, Vlad Guerrero is 22. Great season last year in 640 at-bats, 48 homers. Is he a finished product at this point? Or where is he on his uh, advancement curve? Where is he on his developmental curve? Well, you know, I feel like he's not to the ceiling yet. Oof, scary. Which is pretty freaking yeah. scary. Um, I mean, not. Let, let's start with the easy thing. You know, we talk about health being a skill. He's missed one game in the last mm-hmm. two years, um, and he's so legitimately in the best shape of his life. <laughs> one of the few guys who can say it with some credibility. Yeah, I suppose that's true. <laughs> I, 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 how can you not love Vlad? And I do. I think there's more meat on the bone here because the launch angle is still sub ten yep. degrees. So there is there's some upward movement there to be had. Um, you know, he pretty much maxed out his stats last year via Statcast. He was five points above unexpected from expected batting average, ten points above for expected slugging. So you know, he he did what he did. Um, the contact rates are mid seventies. So if he wanted, there was probably a little room to be more aggressive. I don't think he needs to be. Um, the the Statcast data obviously like. How much more do you go above uh, an average of ninety-five? I don't yeah. know. I, mean, I don't. Th- I don't think he could quite get to Aaron Judge level. Um, he's just not quite as massive a human being. I'm okay with that. But yeah, I mean, he's he's fine of where he is. Uh, but I think the launch angle has a little bit of has a little bit of plus, and he could threaten sixty homers one of these years uh, because he is generally always in the lineup. And three more degrees of launch angles probably yep. going to give him another five to ten homers. And there you a little go. bit more aggression, a little bit more confidence at the plate, even a little bit more pull. He could raise that launch angle a little bit, uh, just even just swing a little bit harder and be more aggressive. His plate discipline is outstanding. It's 12.2. And that's, by the way, that 12.2 is showing a little extra aggression on swinging strike. Chase rate of 28%. You could see him do the Sal Perez type of thing where he's just wants to hit more, wants to lift the ball more, wants to pull the ball more. And that would probably pay off for a few more homers. But I don't know. What's the point at this point? If he just repeats 2021 for the rest of his career, I'm perfectly happy. Well, I I put the Hall of Fame pack up now, but, you know, he's aggressive. And uh, my buddy has a saying that is – that he uses frequently, plant corn, get corn. <laughs> so, uh, I, like it. I mean, you, you know, his dad was one of the most famously aggressive hitters ever. Uh, he's toned that down a bit. He will walk much more than his father would walk. Um, you know, 12.3 walk rate is really pretty good. Um, but pitchers are already afraid of him. You know, his own percentage is already under 40. And I don't see that going up anytime soon. Yeah, so he may so, have to become more aggressive because the pitchers might be working away from him a little bit more. And you know he's getting the text from his father. Swing. Yes. <laughs> Too passive. Too passive. Yeah. What are you taking that pitch but, for? We, we're not paying you well, for walks. <laughs> the other thing that could go in his favor is this Blue Jay lineup is oh, just God, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are going to be really, really good really, really soon. Possibly as soon as this year. So I... I think things could, there could be a perfect storm here where I'm going to go out on a limb and say one of the next three seasons he hits over 50. I don't think it's much of a limb. No, I don't think it's much of a limb. He's, he's going to put one together at that point, yes. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, great breakout season last year, and we've been talking all spring about we're buying into Tyler O'Neill big time, and quality of contact is one of the reasons we're buying in because when you ask the question why 2021 happened for him the way it did, you don't have to go too much further than his stat cast stats. 
No, absolutely not. Um, I, I'm buying into all of it, but the batting average. And I don't think he's going to, you know, crater. But he probably was about seven or eight points favorable last year, although he was 20 or 25 points under his expected slugging. Hmm. So I think we could see even more power than we saw last year. He could hit 40, and obviously the 15 steals is, is doable since he just did it. Uh, and he missed 24 games. So there's maybe a little bit of playing time uh, issue in there that could be boosted because I don't, if I recall, he didn't break uh, break camp as a starting outfielder for them. Did no, he? I don't think he did. No. Yeah, so I think it took a couple weeks for him to come up, and it was I think Harrison Bader got hurt or something like that. So O'Neill with 18% barrel rate, 52% hard hit rate. I think that if you expect around a 265 to 270 batting average, I think that's probably more in line with what should happen. But the ISO has 300-plus potential, so I think the trade-off would be perfectly fair for anyone. Um, I really like the kid. Right now, He's uh, his ADP is, I think, the first pick of the fifth round. I'd probably take him earlier than that by a half round or so. So he'd probably be a fourth-round pick for me, and I have a lot of confidence in his stat line being mostly repeated. 50 to 70 additional at-bats is reasonable to expect at this point. Would get Which would get him in the mid-30s and approaching 40 homers at this point. The only question is how much do you buy into the 26.2% homer-to-fly ball rate? That's a pretty healthy homer-to-fly ball rate. But again, the stat cast data and the quality of contact supports that a little bit. It's going to be tough to repeat, and that may balance things off a little bit. But it, it's not far off, is it? No, not at all. And I think if you go in with the mindset that almost every barrel is a homer. So if he's hitting homers 18% of the time, that's, that's a yep. lot. Yep. All right. So Joey Votto is the uh, opposite of Christian Yelich. <laughs> he's, <laughs> it's like, it's one of these, why is he changing up the way he is? And he went to the 36 homers at age 37 last year, by the way, showed all types of regression that he hadn't showed in the past. And it paid off in his quality of contact. The 36 homers is supported by those quality of contact numbers. Average, well, it didn't go in the tank at 266, but by Joey Votto's terms, it went in the tank a little bit. Yeah, it's just interesting watching his approach and a guy who is so contact-oriented and we were begging him to be more aggressive earlier in his career, all of a sudden decided, what the hell, I guess. Yeah, and you know, we talked about him a few weeks back, and I think we both came to the conclusion that in 2019 and even part of the 2020 season, Joey Votto looked like a guy who was just about done. Yep. And last year he was definitively not done. His ISO was 297. And according to StatCast data, he was about 30 points light on slugging of where he should be, given the batted ball dispersion and, and velocity and all of that. So Joey Votto is 2021, who, by the way, that was his 15th major league mm -hmm. season. Um, career highs in ISO, exit velocity, which of course has only been out for about seven years. Uh, barrel percentage by eight in those seven years. Hard hit rate. Uh, career low in contact percentage. Career high in, uh, in most Ks, K percentage. And the second highest of his 15-year career in terms of raw data, home runs, fly ball percentage, pull percentage, and swing strike rate. So clearly, Joey Votto went into 2021, and, and to a lesser extent, 2020, because the ISO jumped back up about 70 points in 2020. He clearly went into these two years saying, you know, I've got to change things up or I'm done. So he did. And it worked. Now, the aggression is obvious in his 11.5% swing strike percentage and his 24% chase rate. It's funny. We're categorizing those as being overly aggressive. But for Joey Votto, it is overly aggressive. <laughs> yeah, and he is 37 years old, but it doesn't look like an age decline to, to me because I would expect that chase rate to be up. I mean, age decline, you know, digs into you a little bit different way. This looks like a guy who's reaching for power a little bit. He's just being a more aggressive hitter. Yeah. Um I, I think he he's a very aware player. If you ever watch any of his interviews or anything like that, and uh, he guys know guys know when they're on the way out or on the way down or whatever you want to however you want to turn it. Um, you know, Votto when the pitchers were starting back in uh, sixteen seventeen to pitch him much more in the strike zone, they knew his bat was slowing down. Yep. And at first, he he just cut the chase rate with it and was down around fifteen percent yeah. and just really not swinging at anything. And then last year, clearly, clearly decided he was going to be much more aggressive. The, the swing percentage went up to 44%, which is the highest since 2010. 
And yes, the contact rate went down. That's going to happen. The chase rate went up 5%, but the in-zone swing percentage went up 11.5%. And he did lose a little bit of contact there, so he was clearly swinging harder, more aggressively, but he still makes contact at over 80% in the zone, and that's fine. He's still well within the bounds of what we consider to be a solid contact hitter. 11.5% swing strike rate, 73.5% contact rate. These are sort of average numbers for this day and age. So He's, it's not a weakness by any means. Oh, no. I'm just curious about age decline or uh, with the plate approach. And again, 11.5%, 24.7%. Those are damn good numbers, whether you're 37 or not. Right. Uh, but it's just curious that, again, his exit velocity jumped considerably last year. His barrel percentage jumped considerably. And that wasn't a matter of adding lift. He had pretty good uh, launch angles all throughout our, the StatCast career here at 14, 13 15%. He gained a couple degrees in his launch angle, but that didn't contribute to the increase in barrels that we saw. Hard hit percentage went up to 53.2%. All I can glean from that is he's swinging harder. He's just He was yep. more of a controlled hitter in the past. And again, remember for years, we just begged him to be more aggressive. And, and that seems to be what we got in 2021. Yeah. I mean, you don't know when prayers are going to be answered. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, if you're asking me to quantify it, I'd say it's like 5% age decline and 95% conscious choice. Yes. With and we can take, we can, I think you can buy into another year. I think so too. I, I wouldn't discount it. You know, first baseman of any position, first baseman probably physically declined at the slowest rate. Yeah. It's not a physically demanding position. Right. I'm wondering what his current ADP is, what the price is, because I don't think everyone was buying in at the beginning. I haven't checked in a while. Uh, ADP 1204. <laughs> yeah. I, I Okay. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, take, I'm taking him there. Yeah, especially if you, if you get him on your roster as not your first baseman, as a, a corner infielder or a last bat or something mm-hmm. like that, you're doing really well. Because I think he repeats yeah. a similar year. I think so, too. I, there's, I mean, first base is getting a little deeper again. But it's not the position that it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I think Joey Votto was absolutely going to be a 12, top 12 first baseman this year. Yeah, and at that point, you're selecting among – he's a pretty good name among the first baseman you're selecting at that point if you're going at that position yes. right about then. Yes. You're down to Anthony Rizzo. I mean, Anthony Rizzo or Joey Votto, interesting choice. But Joey Votto, I mean, I just like him. Frank Schwindel, a little bit more track record with Joey Votto, although I like Schwindel a lot too, so – Trey Mancini is your choice around there as well? or Yeah, Yuli Gurriel. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those five guys I'd probably value about the same. Uh, I have no problem with any of the five there. Mancini probably is the last rated of that bunch for me. Uh, then probably Schwindel. And in our Votto, Gurriel, Rizzo, they're all the And same in our risk portfolio with a Joey Votto, you were at the point in the first base position or at that point in the draft where you can bet a little bit on Joey Votto having a similar year this year. And if it doesn't work out, you can go find somebody. Right. Oh yeah, Luke Luke Voigt or Brandon Belt. Uh, they're way later in terms of uh, draft position right now, and uh, I think that they're perfectly reasonable stop caps if Votto somehow falls off a cliff, which is really unlikely. I don't know if I've told you this story, but um, I got a text from somebody. I, I have some people in the two Texas organizations in Houston and in Texas, and I got a text from somebody who said, "Have you written up you and Alvarez yet?" When he was in the minors, and I said, "No," and he said, "He's a beast." <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. this guy turned out to be exactly right. Jordan Alvarez is a beast. He's a beast. I mean, when you look at a kid that in his uh, age 22 and 23 years is putting up exit velocities, 92 and 93 barrel rates at 16% both years. Uh, I mean, he was shorted by 40 points of slugging from StatCast data last year uh, versus the actual data. And he's theoretically still getting better. I mean, the only guy in this age group that is doing more from a hitting standpoint than Alvarez is Vlad. Yep. I mean, if, if Jordan Alvarez goes through uh, history as a poor man's Vlad Guerrero, I think that's going to be selling himself short because he's an outstanding hitter. For average, for power, outstanding. He's a really, really advanced, mature hitter for his age. Swing strike rate's 9%. Yep. You know, you, you got a guy, he is a contact bat hitting 30 to 35 homers, theoretically, before he reaches his physical maturity. Yeah, we call him a beast, and that puts a, a p- particular picture in your mind, but his plate approach is sub-9% swinging strike, is just about 30% chase rate. That speaks of a, a decent hitter, a guy with power, and when you get that combination of a good plate approach and the type of power that we're looking at here, that's dangerous. This guy's going to put up some numbers, and he's still less than 1,000 at-bats into his major league career, so there's still some growth here. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I I view him as 95% of Vlad Guerrero. Ooh. That's that's how I value him. Ooh, I like that. But he's not being drafted at that rate. No, he's not. He's someone I target in every single draft. Because of his lack of a position, I think it devalues yep. him in people's eyes. But he plays enough outfield to be eligible there. So I really just, I don't see the issue. People are valuing him as a DH, and he is not. All right, if you have drafts left before opening day and we're all excited for opening day, you want to head over to insiderbaseball.com. If you haven't already, check out the baseball blog. There are preseason prep articles with breakdowns of a lot of players. A lot of what we did here on various topics is analytics articles as well. We have the this podcast. You can go find past episodes of this podcast. There's a lot of great subjects to help catch you up. Download the demo of the Draft Advisory Program, but just go to our link on our uh, landing page or on the baseball blog page to our Thrive Fantasy Sports uh, promo where you uh, open a new account on Thrive Fantasy Sports, deposit $20 and play in a contest, and you get our Grand Slam package for free that's a $79.95 value, which includes the Draft Advisory Program, which will be an amazing amount of help for you. You'll wonder, what the hell? Why haven't I been using this before as you get through your drafts here before opening day? But you'll also be a subscriber to InsideOfBaseball.com for the entire season here in 2022. We'll talk about more what we're going to be doing for you during the season on the next podcast and on the uh, SiriusXM shows as well as we switch our modes from preseason to in-season help. Well, we work with you every day to the end of the season because we love those emails at the end of the year. Right, Skylar? Where you're getting, hey, I won my championship. Thank guys. I love those emails. That's what we do it yeah, for. Oh, no, it's a blast. And it's almost as fun as winning a championship yourself. Not quite. It's, it's not as fun as beating Jim Bowden in a host league draft, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, we both know what that's yeah, all about. Yeah, but it's almost it's almost as good as winning your own championship. The Fantastics Inside of Baseball Pod will be back if you're uh, listening to us on Spotify, Google Pods, Apple Pods. Subscribe to us so you know when the next episode drops because we're not quite on a regular schedule yet, so you're going to want to be notified when we drop one. And uh, we'll see you next weekend on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports uh, as we do our first in-season shows. That'll be Brandon and Sky this weekend. And uh, have a great time, everybody. Have a great drafts. Finish up your season well. And then we get to the real work. I know people don't like to hear this, but the real work is during the baseball season. We're going to help you with it every step of the way here at Fantastics and inside of baseball.com. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Let's go.